welcome back to another episode of The Streaming Key, a show where we talk about everything and anything that is coming to streaming, and sometimes video games for some reason. <laughs> well, we like what we like, and that's just what we're going to talk about. <laughs> I could have I could have put f- filled our notes with all the game trailers from the Game Awards, and we could have been here all day. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Lynn. I will be your host today, who is not so much hungover as much as maybe still drunk. So we're going to bring some sort of, sort of weird energy to today's episode. <laughs> He's deeply questioning his life decisions today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, <laughs> and that voice you just heard was the voice of my co-host, Eric. Hello. Uh, okay, Eric. Uh, so we're going to talk a lot about um, news and mostly trailers today. And we're going to co- talk about Cowboy Bebop being cancelled. Maybe some Daredevil news. We're going to talk about some games that are based on TVs and movies that were announced during the video game trailers. Like the Expanse game, a new Star Wars game. Finally, a Wonder Woman game. And then we're going to talk about a trailer for a new anime movie called Bubble. Uh, It's not about the character from Trailer Park Boys, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) There's also a trailer for a new Halo TV series that just dropped right as we were about to start recording. I'm very excited for that. Um, And of course... not, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, this week's main topic is on the TV show that is taking social media by storm, just slowly rolling up into a big ball of hype, Arcane, based on the one of the most popular video games in the world, but that is also the most toxic community of <laughs> League of Legends. How do we keep finding these toxic <laughs> Hey, I'm part of the problem I used to play. <laughs> they're, not to- they're not toxic people about the property. Like, in the game, they're toxic. I don't think they're toxic about the game. Like... <laughs> Yeah, and I doubt they're they're very toxic about the show. No, I doubt it either. Every, everybody, in fact, this is the least controversial thing we will cover so far in any of our podcasts. Everybody seems to love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and of course, um, timestamps below. And if you want to send us questions or something, anything, comments, whatever, email us as the streaming heap at outlook.com. Yeah, we need questions. We don't have nearly enough to talk about. <laughs> and of course if you leave a leave us a five-star review uh, we may read it out on the show all right without further ado let's go straight into bad news <laughs> eric yes cowboy people has been canceled <laughs> i know and that actually does make me sad even though i was pretty critical of the show i was really looking forward to the second season yes and i think people who try should get more chances <laughs> right yeah and I, I, w- I want to say I was surprised, even though with Netflix, they do this a lot. Yeah. But I will say I was surprised how quickly they did it. Like yes. how early they announced it. Like they didn't even give the show enough time to really breathe before they yeah. canceled it. And it's the numbers seem to be good. So the, I, like, I don't want to start peddling around with conspiracy theories and stuff, uh, but it has to be based on the vitriol against it you can't even say critical reception because the critical reception is like lukewarm it's it's not bad yeah (laughs) yeah like less popular shows stay on air for longer i'm not sure if netflix is canceling it because of controversy netflix doesn't seem to have any problem courting controversy i don't think it's controversy i just think 
it's like the loud screaming people who hate it. it like it's possible but also i think it's also a very expensive show and they're really mm. skittish about expensive shows and the way they put behind marketing it maybe they think it's going to be like their next big thing right you, you like leading up to it it's all you see you know like they were really really pushing this show right the uh not to get video gamey on you, but the Capcom thing where they always assume the next game that they're going to release is going to be the biggest game ever. And when it's not, they say it's a disappointment. Yeah. yeah. And Square Enix as well. Same yeah, thing. Square Enix does the same thing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, we sold like 4 million copies. It's a disappointment. I'm like, wait, what? What? <laughs> um, do you think all hope is lost? Do you think there's any chance of something like a different streaming service like Amazon? Or Paramount, like picking it up and funding it? Think that's possible? Um, never say never, but I don't really think so because it's expensive and because there's a, it's polarizing, and I, I yeah. think other streaming services just want to steer clear of that. And I, I'm not sure about how the rights work because this is technically a Netflix original, but surely they just you know pay the <laughs> right. It's it just licensed, so I don't know. It might be. It might be similar to the the deal they had with Marvel, um, where like it just has to be two years before anybody can develop anything. Mm. Mm. Yeah, uh, the the cast seems to have given up. <laughs> <laughs> Understandably, John Cho really like he he's got to be broken up because he said mm. in interviews he put he put his heart and soul into that show and he his worked body. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> he really beat himself up over it quite literally. <laughs> yeah, look. It's, it makes me sad. And frankly, it kind of makes me angry, especially in the wake of how people are celebrating it. Yeah, that's just shitty. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you didn't have to watch it. It's not like now you're going to get a different live action cover people series you like. Like, right. nobody's doing that. They're just not going to do this again for like at least another decade or two. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> so, like, that's just, you're just being happy for other people's misery. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh let's move on to better news so charlie cox is apparently confirmed to play daredevil whenever he appears in the right. mcu that was a very lawyer speak kevin feige said did you actually watch the interview in which he said i did it? it did it was very there was a lot of uh modifiers in his statement yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when he said whenever he makes appears amy pascal who was next to him like squirmed a little bit like she had like a look <laughs> about her i look it's all but confirmed he's in the new spider-man no way home it really surprises me how early they would announce it because why would you do that now just a couple of weeks out from the show coming or from the movie coming out if he does appear in no way home that seems like a real lost opportunity yeah, I think he just got sick of being repeatedly asked about it over and over and over, right? And like Probably. he gave the mo- most non-committal thing of all. Yeah. If we're going to show Daredevil, it will be Charlie Cox, maybe, <laughs> and next time he appears. <laughs> but what, what he doesn't know is now people are just going to be like, Jessica Jones? Hmm, Punisher? <laughs> but Nobody's going to say Iron Fist. Yes, <laughs> he can rest assured nobody will ask Iron Fist. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true they're gonna ask because that's controversial they, they, they're hoping he will say something negative <laughs> and if he doesn't they can be outraged about it <laughs> yeah. also Amy Pascal looks so different I didn't recognize her at all 
Maybe she's been replaced. <laughs> Disney's very powerful, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have replaced Amy Pascal with the more agreeable Amy Pascal. <laughs> I love their interviews together. Whenever Amy Pascal and Kevin Feige have to do interviews together, I love it because it's always awkward. There's always yeah. like looks back and forth between the two. Like, what the hell are you saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you remember the interview where like she was like, oh, it's all in the MCU. And then he's like, <laughs> no, it's, it's, adjacent like they're talking about the other movies like Venom and Morbius and he's like yeah. it's in their own little separate universe <laughs> <laughs> he must love his job in general because I think he really hates the interview circuit <laughs> yeah he's not a good interviewer <laughs> no he's just like he can't say anything they always ask him questions about things he can't say and he's always like having to stare down people like Tom Holland or Amy Pascal or <laughs> Haley Seinfeld, the latest edition. Um, and he just be like, shut up. <laughs> Stop talking. Just be quiet. <laughs> I don't know uh, how much of this story is true or not, uh, or how much is um, stars like puffing it up. Um, did you see the story about how, um, or how Owen Wilson uh, apparently accidentally mentioned that he's growing a mustache to play Morbius. And then he said he immediately got a like a message on his phone from an unknown number. That's a strike one. <laughs> That's awesome. It sounds fake, but I want to believe it. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> because we know Daredevil's coming to the MCU, I think that makes our theories about I don't even think it's a theory. I think it's a fact. But the theories about Vincent D'Onofrio showing up as uh, Kingpin in Hawkeye. Yeah, yeah I think it's all it even more likely. Yeah. 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 He, he, when this new broke, uh, he also congratulated Charlie Cox in a tweet. <laughs> uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. Uh, <laughs> that guy is not looking to hide. Like, he's just not saying it. Like, he just, he keeps talking about Daredevil and like Hawkeye for, <laughs> for the last yeah. two or three weeks. <laughs> He's being coy, but he's not being that secretive about it. Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> he's having the time of his life, which is great. Vincent D'Onofrio is like, I think, one of that like 90, early 2000 tradition of character actors continue yeah. into modern days. Like he's in so many things as like almost unrecognizable. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. And he's been around <laughs> a long time too. Yeah. Uh, that's the first movie I think I saw him in was Full Metal Jacket. What was yeah, that? Yeah, that's early right. 80s? He, was jacket. <laughs> he, he was even in like Jurassic World as it. Oh right, I forgot about that. <laughs> insane guy who's like, you know, these raptors will be good uh, for, good for the military. What the fuck that makes total sense. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's like replacing uh, tanks with elephants. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's pivot to talk about all these trailers. Make sure to wear enclosed shoes because we're about to visit the trailers park. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, video games awards is that what it's called? VGA. Yeah, the VGA, the Video Game Awards, uh, which just, really isn't even about awards anymore. Like, they really. get awards, but yeah. that's not what anybody cares about. Yeah, it's a it's, it's Jeff Keighley's a big industrial event in which they just announce a lot of games. Yeah, I think uh, it's but, just picked up a lot of the slack from E3 since E3 is gone now. Yeah, but I think it's been parallelly uh, uh, growing next to E3 for a few years now, even for the pandemic hit. It has. It was just perfectly situated for when E3 downgraded. To, yeah. to take it over. 
in there is a lot of licensing games based on television shows and movies, and we're going to talk about a couple of them here. Right. Like I said, we could we could talk about all the trailers, but we're just going to pick the the few that have relevance. <laughs> Yeah. Even though I, I can talk about Alan Wake all day. <laughs> so let's start by talking about the announced Telltale game based on The Expense. Yeah, uh, first of all, um, wait, what happened? Telltale's around again? When did that happen? Oh, yeah, um, they restarted. Yeah, yeah, it's probably a completely different team. But yeah, still, I think yeah. some of the old people got higher back. In case people don't know, like Telltale collapsed. Right. This was the studio that was most well known for doing like choose your own adventure style games yeah. like um, the Narrative Walking Dead game. series. Yeah. And the Batman is really cool. Yeah. Um, games like that. Yeah. Fable. There was a Game of Thrones one that was pretty yeah. good. Uh, they also did a Garden of the Galaxy one. Right. A lot of licensed stuff. And they're pretty good at it. Yeah. They did a good job. They're most known for their Walking Dead ones when the TV show Walking Dead was at the height of its fame, not having a death rattle. Yes. <laughs> so you haven't seen The Expanse, right? Right. Much to my shame, I still have not seen The Expanse. I'll get around to it one day. Everybody it's, in my life is screaming at me to be watching it right now. Oh, including some of our fans. Like, yes, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I know a couple of people who really hate the fact that you haven't seen The Expanse. It's like a show made for me, but I yeah. still haven't watched it because I'm yeah. lazy. <laughs> and like, I, I don't feel right forcing you to binge 60 episodes or whatever <laughs> to make an episode, <laughs> making a podcast. But um, so I'll take the lead, I guess. From the trailer, it seems to be based on uh, one of the side character, I guess, from the show. Yep. Uh, I'm a little bit confused because she seems to be in a Mars ship and the, she is a Belta terrorist, essentially. So I don't know what happened, but I think they just showed that class uh, of Mars ship in the trailer because the, the main ship in the series is that class. Yeah, it could have just been an editing trick to make you think that she's driving it. Yeah, but she's in it. But she's yeah, she's not piloting it. So she could have just, I guess, hijacked it. Right. Um, I think this might be a prequel, but I couldn't be sure. The character in question that I'm talking about is Kamina Drama, who is second in command in the OPA, the Belta, which is the people who live on the asteroid belt terrorist faction that is mostly being warring with Earth and sometimes Mars. And it seems to me this is probably a prequel. What do you think of the graphics? That's the thing that threw me off. I The style... The stylized look made me think of Team America. <laughs> well, most Telltale games in the past went for like a gel shaded look, which, you know, more comic booky. This one looks like it's trying to be some middle ground between that and, and realistic graphics. And it is a little wonky, I guess. I don't really know how to put it. Like, it was especially weird after watching some of the other trailers we're going to talk about, which had really impressive graphics. It looked like Thunderbirds. <laughs> it did, kind of, with the big heads and the, yeah. like, lanky bodies. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even realize that it was supposed to be drama until she started speaking in that heavy, like, Creole-style accent they give the Belters. Oh, okay. Uh, and immediately once she starts speaking, I'm like, I'm in. Especially the, <laughs> the boss man bit it's like it's a very common turn of phrase in the show and okay. then of course it ends with her flushing what i presume is a poor mars officer out of an airlock <laughs> <laughs> i mean it looked cool it sounds cool sure <laughs> yeah I, i'm very interested uh, especially for this narrative kind of tell the telltale thing where 
the it's a branching um, story based on your decisions. Right. The universe of the expanse is perfectly fit for that, as well as its themes. And I fully understand why they don't make it about the main characters from the show as well. It will completely sidestep one of the main problems I have with the show is the same problem as Harry Potter, which is the main character is in the midst of every single issue that he's <laughs> right all the time. Yet when the next crisis comes along, everybody's like, we don't trust you. I'm like, why? <laughs> that Harry Potter guy, he's not trustworthy. Yeah. It's not that he's been right the last five years. But, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's he's right every time. And he makes the right decision every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was a scene in one of the seasons where somebody is like, oh, are you going to pay for those repairs? And I'm like, why? Like he saved the universe like three times now. <laughs> you should make him king of the universe. <laughs> yeah. Um, when it comes to adaptations of like a licensed property like this, I really like it when they do that, when they take a side character and a side story that takes place in the same universe, but kind of adjacent to the main idea. I really like it when they, when games do that going all the way back to the original, there's a Blade Runner game from like 1997. Oh yeah. So good. And uh, other Telltale games, like that Game of Thrones game I, was, I mentioned, it does that. It's like a side story. Yeah. slightly uh, intersects with the real main story. And the same thing with the Walking Dead game. Right. Walking Dead game too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a really clever way of doing, of handling a licensed property. Yeah. Like you get the benefit of the rich, already well-known world, but you are not tied down to the already established canon. Right. Although I think she's a side character, but she's, Pretty major side character. So they're not going to be able to do two crazy things with it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, that looked very exciting. Moving on to the trailer that make me hate how much I like the look of. is <laughs> <laughs> Star Wars Eclipse, which is being done by Quantic Dreams. You, uh, you said you had a big... Uh... You had a big rant about this. So I'm going to let you go. Go ahead and let, let us know what you think of Quantic Dream and its uh, head, uh, David Cage. My main problem is with David Cage. The games in itself, they fight. Like, I, I like them enough, whatever I've uh, played or watched um, let plays of. But the problem is that man... You got to tell, tell the audience what games you're talking about. Oh, yeah, that's true. Okay, so Quantic Dreams and David Cage is responsible for games like Beyond Two Souls, uh, Detroit Become Human. Heavy Rain. Heavy Rain is the big one that broke out, that um, made them famous. So very narratively heavy games, but very similar to Telltale, really. Yeah, kind of. Based on your choices and branching storylines, instead of like actual, uh, like running and gunning and actual like minutia of control over your characters, right? So... Narrative-heavy games, but here's the thing. David Cage thinks his games are be-all and end-all of narrative in games. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. He is yeah. a self-relating egotist. <laughs> yeah, he thinks they are at the forefront of storytelling, and the more people buy into it, I think the more disservice <laughs> they do to video game narratives. <laughs> because I think it's fine to like his game. It's a gameplay or a story. Like, even the stories are not that bad. But here's the thing. Every single story he writes is like taking really well-known tropes and distilling them into like a kind of like generic, less interesting version. 
And then it have massive amount of budget in it. And he always goes on about choices, which is never as much as he, he claimed it is. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, like all the games basically still have a narrative through line, no matter what choices you make. It, it all ends up in the same place, usually. With yes. the exception, I think, of Heavy Rain, even though I've never beaten Heavy Rain. But as I understand it, that one does have pretty divergent endings. Yeah, yeah. So he, his trick, he somehow thinks people haven't figured out, is like, if expand fan out in the middle all the choices but it yeah. all arrived down back down to like two or three major things really which is yes that's the limitation of what he's doing but he's always talking out of his ass as if that's <laughs> not the case and here's the thing telltale is quantic dreams but better in every yeah. single way <laughs> also telltale and quantic dream have one major difference in how they they deal with the choices in a telltale game you have a few seconds to think about what you want to choose in a in a quantic dream game it's just quick time events yeah. and you have to think on the on your feet really really fast yeah and i don't think that's as satisfying it's exciting but at the same time it's it's just it, it, it's more frustrating yeah but i know some people like it of course people like it that's why they keep doing it right <laughs> I, I don't have a problem with that like even though i don't like it my problem is the narrative and how much he think it is the best and here's the thing, right? When uh, Detroit Become Human came out, when I started watching some of the promotion with David Cage in it, at first I was like, this motherfucker is just making a game for people who hasn't read Android Dreams or Electric Sheep. <laughs> or not just read, never heard of it. Or right. never seen Blade Runner. <laughs> but then after about watching like three or four videos, I'm like, now I think David Cage hasn't seen Android Dreams. They <laughs> haven't seen Blade Runner. He's like a he's like a writer who's never actually read anything and he just thinks that all of his ideas are original, which <laughs> yeah. nobody has any original ideas, man. <laughs> yeah, it, he just he's just like, oh, we're just we're asking that, you know, question never has asked before. Where is the line between robots and humans? <laughs> and artificially I'm like, that's literally all science fiction. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> he's like the he's like peter molyneux always oh yeah peter molyneux is more like just promising everything and never yeah. delivering yeah he, he's like that as well but with him yeah. with twice like yeah exactly yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. but that rant had to be <laughs> put out there because i really like this fucking trailer and i hate yeah, it looks really it. good <laughs> <laughs> because like it gives nothing away it's just like establishing shots and like dramatic pans and for some reason a big drum <laughs> yeah, like a taiko drum yeah yeah taiko drum of people who are a cross between voldemort and the aliens from avatar i think it's just <laughs> one that's been cut and pasted like 50 times yeah <laughs> but um you can definitely piece together stuff from the shots it seems to me like it's maybe set during the prequel times or maybe even earlier because they have yoda in it it has yoda in it yeah, yeah so I but think yoda is like, like hundreds of years old so yeah it looks like it's sometime before the prequels but not too far before the prequels it seemed to have c3po in it oh that's right i forgot about that unless it's just a different like um unit that you know same same design as c3po but i think it's c3po so yeah i don't think they would have yeah i think you're right i think it is c3po so it's got to be taking place around the same time as uh at least number one the Phantom Menace, yeah. Yeah, it didn't show a single second of Tatooine. So that's already a big That's mark. always a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Jedi Castle is shown. And the most 
sinister looking new gunray I've ever seen was so shallow. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somehow managed to give that frankly racist Asian stereotype <laughs> some gravitas. <laughs> A lot of unknown armies marching, new Jedi and Force users, of course. A guy coming out of oil slick, just like uh, Baron Harkonnen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, like, this is clearly just sizzle reel. That's nothing. Like, I know that intellectually, <laughs> but I can't help being like, shit, that looks great. <laughs> it does. It, 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 it sold me just because it looks so good. And the graphics are absolutely incredible. There's a lot of shots in there that I wouldn't be surprised if that was a movie, you know? Um, yeah. It didn't look like a video game a lot of the time. It was only until you saw, like, characters' faces. You're like, oh, right, this is a video game. <laughs> yeah. What I'll endeavor to do is for this game, I will try not to watch any David Cage-related <laughs> promotion of this. Okay. Just pretend he's not even involved. The coin is doing without <laughs> <laughs> then maybe I will be able to enjoy it on its own merit. Um, but like, even when you don't listen to him speak, though, some of like the games itself sometimes are like, oh, this is about racism and like breaking down of it. And then you play the game, you're like, you don't, you didn't do that well at all. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe they might do that again here. I don't know. But right now, uh, I love it and I hate how much I love it. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes about writing that I get from uh, David Lynch, I think, uh, he was asked about what one of his movies means, because if you've ever seen a David Lynch movie, you know, they're completely insane. Mm -hmm. um, and he said, why would I explain what I was doing? It would just make it sound stupider. <laughs> <laughs> okay, make that. <laughs> and David Lynch, uh, it, some of the stuff you write is already pretty fucking stupid. <laughs> I don't hate David Lynch, but... <laughs> I saw Eraserhead when I was 16. It really <laughs> messed me up. <laughs> okay, the next trailer, there's not much of a trailer. It's mostly just narrative over a blank screen. But yeah. it, <laughs> finally, somebody is making a Wonder Woman game. Yeah, and it's a single player game. That's yeah, it's insane that that has never been done before. And that just goes to show the inherent sexism of the industry. <laughs> Wonder Woman is one of the most popular characters in DC Comics. <laughs> There's a friend of mine who is absolutely obsessed with Wonder Woman. And he's been saying this for as long as I've known him, that there hasn't been a Wonder Woman game and that that's a crime. Yeah, yeah. There's no reason why a Wonder Woman game that is like God of War, the new one, uh, right. should work. Although it'd be yeah, funny if they not. made it like the old one and like Wonder Woman is just like <laughs> hacking slashing. Yeah, hacking slashing <laughs> and going around like having sex with <laughs> like demons and gods alike. <laughs> yeah. That wouldn't really be sending the right message, but I'd no, still it play would. the hell out of it. <laughs> they it, but it would be fun. <laughs> I mean, once again, no indication of what the gameplay is gonna be like or even what the story is gonna be like. It's just yeah, narration. to show you. They show you Wonder Woman, and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> looks good. Looks like Wonder yeah. Woman. Looks like Wonder Woman. I'm, I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to move on from video games and actually start talking about movies and TV shows. <laughs> so let's talk about the one you put down here. Mr. Anime Man, the biggest anime fan there is. <laughs> yes, I am the anime expert somehow. I don't know really how that happened. <laughs> you do one episode of your video on Akira, and now you, you, you want more. You had a taste. <laughs> Next time we check in, you're gonna you're gonna have binge like 300 episodes of One Piece or something. <laughs> well, this is um, okay. Bubble. It's being it's for Netflix. It's a movie. 
Um, it's being done by a lot of the same people behind the animated version of Attack on Titan, you know, the original version. Yeah. And it looks interesting. It's it's the kind of story that I think only works in animation that would never work in live action because it's all about gravity being all messed up in Tokyo. Uh, yeah. Like weird bubbles have rained down inexplicably upon Tokyo and gravity is all messed up and people are jumping around. And it looks really interesting and uh, different. And, you know, because it's the same guys who did Attack on Titan, I know that there's going to be some really heavy metaphors there, but I'm really curious how they're going to do that with bubbles. <laughs> but it's it just it looks really cool. And I'm I'm totally interested. Yeah, it looked really interesting. And this goes back to like the video we recently did together on your channel. Go check it out. Yeah, please. It's not getting enough views. The Unapologetic Geek, right? <laughs> yeah, as we mentioned in that video, Japan has this unique apocalyptic vision because they've experienced the thing closest to, you know, apocalypse yeah. a modern society can exactly. in, their, in their atomic bombs. And we talk about how their uh, view of uh, apocalypse and post-apocalyptic society is very unique and very interesting. I wonder if lately people who are still affected by that kind of narrative, they are the new filmmakers are also being affected by our climate change because this yeah. is like the like second or third <laughs> anime in the last few years that flood Tokyo. <laughs> right, yep. <laughs> Weathering with you, like completely flood Tokyo as well. <laughs> well, I think it, I mean, yeah, climate change is definitely part of that, but I also think it's part of the Fukushima disaster because there was flooding in Japan. Um, yeah. Like in uh, the, the newest Godzilla movie, Shin Godzilla, the newest Japanese Godzilla movie, there's a lot of flooding and stuff. And that's obviously a parallel to Fukushima because mm. the whole movie is about Fukushima. And that... Um, Shin Godzilla is made from the famous anime director of Neo Genesis Evangelion. Right. I uh, did actually know that because I'm an anime expert. I know everything about it. <laughs> <laughs> so he's big on Apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> this seems to be a combination of that movie I mentioned, Weathering With You, and uh, anime whose uh, name I can't remember off the top of my head about gravity being reversed for like half the world's population or something. I do know what you're talking about, but I don't remember what it's called. And I never saw it. It, it might be called gravity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, this looked interesting, but some of the action scenes I didn't enjoy because it feels so floaty. But I guess that's the point of it because it's bubbles. <laughs> yeah, it's not as uh, gritty looking as Attack on Titan. It's more... Yeah, it's not quite chibi, but it's more cutesy Japanese animation. Well, I'm more talking about like there doesn't seem to be weight on the character's movement in the action scene they showed off in the trailer. But that's oh, because okay. he's jumping from like bubble to bubble. But, you know, right. like in Attack on Titan, there's a lot of weight on the impact. And then oh, like yeah. the wires being uh, shot out of their little grappling hooks that it go top and they swing and they all have very heavy weight to it. This is the opposite. Yeah, and I think that, yeah, like you said, I think that might be the point. But yeah, it does yeah. look kind of weird in yeah. action. Whether or not the, it's the point, I, I still don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, definitely we'll have to check it out when it comes out. Yeah. All right, uh, two step forward, one step back. We're going to go back to video game adjacent <laughs> because they are finally doing what they've been threatening to do for like two decades now. <laughs> they are making a Halo TV series. If it were actually two decades ago, I'd be super psyched. But in today, <laughs> I really don't care. <laughs> I'm super psyched. <laughs> Honestly, like I've given it a lot of thought over the years because like you said, they've been threatening this for so long. I just don't 
think Halo would translate well to live action, even as a TV series. I just think it's too generic of a story. I mean, everybody always talks about Halo having this great story. It really it doesn't. doesn't. It has a good universe, yeah. but it's not a great story. It's basically just aliens with a big ring. Uh, okay, I'm about to go on the nerdiest feel of my life. And <laughs> <laughs> if you know me, that's saying something. Have you read the Halo books? No, but I do have a friend who has. Yeah, just <laughs> told me all about them. <laughs> so this seems to be more based on the Halo books to me. But the trailer, once again, doesn't give too much away. A lot of establishing shots with a narration over the top. Right. But what we don't see pointedly in this trailer is none of the aliens. Right. You don't see a single alien. You don't yeah. see any of the... We see a lot of space covenant. structure. Yeah. So it, it doesn't seem to be cheaping out on it. And it's definitely about Master Chief because Master Chief is in the trailer. <laughs> and I will give them a lot of credit. He looks perfect as Master Chief. Yeah. yeah. He looks I mean, like they've been like they've been doing uh, live action trailers for years. <laughs> they yeah. know how to make <laughs> Master Chief look good in like, live action. Poor Neil Blomkamp has done like 10 of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing, right? You're completely right. The, the video game Halo story is generic and uninteresting. It's like Precasa aliens and a war, you know, like yeah. You know, <laughs> stop me if you heard of it before. Precursor <laughs> aliens just um, up to some sinister, no good shit <laughs> that we have to deal yeah. with. Um, it was a trope even before video games made it a even bigger trope. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But for me, the narrative of the books are more interesting than narratives of the games. What the the first book that I really love, the first Halo book, what it gets into is. The creation of the Spartans, the beginning of the Spartan program, which made Master Chief right before first contact with Co the Covenant, right? And what's okay. interesting about that is the games barely touch upon it. The Master Chief and Spartans are made to like put down dissidents. Yeah. <laughs> they, they are essentially like jackbooted <laughs> stormtrooper thugs of a, a very heavy handed fa fascist regime. Like, they were made by people kidnapping children and leaving flesh clones in their bed and then <laughs> genetically modifying and experimenting on them with a massive <laughs> kill rate. And then they build a world where it's quite dystopian. And then they have to come together when suddenly first contact happened. And they're like, well, I guess we gotta, <laughs> we got to fight for survival. And that part is interesting to me which the games don't even touch on at all, not even a little bit. Yeah, and even that, I mean, sure, it does sound more interesting, but even yeah. that is also pretty tropey. It's just yeah. a universal Especially because it's thing. been so long since the actual first Halo game came out. Yeah, exactly, because and Halo is not really as deep into the pop culture gestalt as it used to be. Yeah, <laughs> but the story I just described, right, as tropey as it is, is still way less tropey than Halo the games. And I think oh, yeah, no, that, one, yeah, I agree. that one went told interestingly. Uh, sorry, that one went told well would be more interesting to me than the video game story told well. Yeah, and and just so I'm clear, even if a story is tropey and try and you know not unique, that doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of tropey things that I absolutely love. I think we're gonna be talking about one of them pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> So the thing is, though, it can't just be based on the book, because if the Covenants don't show up at all, people are just going to be like, what the fuck? People want Master <laughs> Chief, people want the Covenant, people want Cortana. Like, they know that. <laughs> yeah, but, and we already know that Cortana's in it because it's being 
voiced by the same actress who voices Cortana in the games. Yeah. And Dr. Halsey, the woman who started the Spartan program, this terrifying, awful genetic experiments on children. She is also the character, in-universe character that Cortana is based upon. So they will probably be played by the same character. That makes sense. Okay. So it's also going to get into an interesting dynamic of John having like a mother complex with Cortana. Creepy. All right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, look, look I, I'm not excited about it, but it could work. And I, I'll watch it. Of course, I'll watch it. I'm a geek. <laughs> <laughs> that narration in the trailer, I think, is by Dr. Halsey. And knowing yeah. who she is and knowing what she's done, that narr- narration is very sinister. I'll have to watch it again now that I know all that. Yeah. Yeah. She's telling children she, she uh, kidnapped <laughs> and they experiment upon how special they're going to be in the future. <laughs> Well, I mean, they could handle it through, uh, you know, they could either change the timeline so that these things are happening concurrently or it could all be flashbacks kind of thing. Like, I mean, there, there are ways to handle that in a show where you have both the, the game storyline or at least some parts of the game storyline at the same time as you have the whole Spartan backstory. Yeah. Oh, they also absolutely going to do one of the most famous Halo books there is Fall of Reach, which is yeah, about Reach. the first yeah. contact with the Covenant. With the covenant, yeah. I think I can't remember if actually Fallen Reach was the first book or the second book. Don't ask me, man. I don't know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I will stop dragging you into this all this Halo talk. <laughs> and then I will ask you what you've been watching. Okay. Well, originally we didn't have anything written here, and I didn't really want to put down what I've been watching because I'm kind of embarrassed by it. So what better way to deal with my embarrassment than to admit it to the whole world? I did watch Tiger King season two. <laughs> I'm absolutely not judging you at all. <laughs> um, even though my face clearly says otherwise yeah <laughs> <laughs> like like most people i got caught in the tiger king thing because it was the very beginning of the pandemic and everybody on social media was talking about it so i just like booted up the first episode i'm like oh, i just wanted to see what the fuss was about and i wound up binging the whole thing because it's it's a train wreck as you know it's just it's so awful and everybody is weird and bizarre and yeah awful <laughs> yeah it, it's definitely one of those cases of truth doesn't have to who um, doesn't have the rules of fiction because fiction have to make sense yeah it, <laughs> that not happen uh, in tiger king one it's like what what are what are these cartoon characters <laughs> with these fucking people so out of morbid curiosity, I watched the second season, which is shorter than the first season. And at first it was really interesting because they seem to be taking this meta route of like exploring how the first season of Tiger King had affected all the players and how like it had warped their sense of reality even further. And that there were things that the, that the documentary had implied, like the fact that Carol Baskin obviously killed her husband that like everybody's believing now. And that that's probably not cool that people are taking it that far and sending death threats to Carol Baskin and stuff like that. Um, And it was dealing with like the fallout of what they had done in the first season. And I thought that was really interesting and really like self, um, aware but then they ruined it in the la- in the second half of the second season by just repeating the exact same mistakes and making events seem more sinister than they probably were and making implications that there's not any evidence for and mm. people are still going to be sending death threats to carol baskin <laughs> <laughs> as long as they not um sending it into the wrong baskins oh yeah <laughs> But anyway, yeah, I just since that's something I've been watching and that's all we had, I had to mention it. 
It is what it is. It's the Tiger King. You know that. Um, no, it's probably, I mean, there's probably cynical cash grab involved in there being a second season of Tiger King. Cause of course, when they made Tiger King, they had no idea it would become <laughs> huge. And, you know, Netflix does really well with documentaries. They don't cost a lot of money and uh, they always seem to randomly get buzz. So why not? Yeah, I bet the people who made this Tiger King 2 really wishes Trump uh, pardoned <laughs> the Tiger King <laughs> because uh, uh, no doubt t- tackled in this documentary that that was what he was waiting for. He had a oh, yeah. limo on standby outside of the prison for weeks. <laughs> There's a whole episode about that and it's really uncomfortable because they're, they're going to see Trump on January 6th, like the morning of January 6th. It is so... <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, there's a whole episode de- dedicated to just that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> see, this is the this is showing the real victim of things like the events of January 6th. Yeah. Tiger King. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to wrap up everything we had to say about the first half of the show there. And when we come back after this break, we're going to talk about this week's topic, Arcane. So yeah. we'll be right back. And we're back. All right. We're here to talk about Arcane, the show that's based on League of Legends. Eric, you know how we usually start with a quick summary of the show we're covering? Yeah, Storyteller Lind. Okay. Today, because this show is really long with a lot of interweaving throughout line, I'm going to do something slightly different. And I'm going to try to sell you on the show. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Arcane. It is a tale of two cities. One is such a hive of scum and villainy that Obi-Wan could probably need to cut off a dozen hands just to cross the street without being accosted. (laughs) Another is made out of one percenters and ruled by a council that is incompetent and corrupt. The series have everything you'd want. You like orphans? You have a punch of them. You hate orphans? Watch them die or have terrible things happen to them. (laughs) What else do you like? Science? Magic? You have both. Fashion? Rich or poor, everyone dressed like a million bucks. <laughs> Corrupt or incompetent politicians? Check both boxes, baby. You like Harlequin? A budget version of her is pretty much in this. <laughs> and then V, big hands. You know she's the one. Intrigue? Political commentary? Imagine Dragons? A random rap music video inserted into the middle of it for some reason? <laughs> you name it. You have it all. A package filled to the brim that you will forget it's an adaptation of one of the most toxic games of all time. <laughs> Welcome to RK. <laughs> See, you should have just said that before you had that hitman hired to put a gun to my head to force me to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is something that I had to slowly wear you down into watching. Yes, yes, many, many, many times. (laughs) I think it's because you, like a lot of other people, have never heard anything good about things related to League of Legends. Yes, this is true. (laughs) (laughs) So um, let me explain very briefly why is that. League of Legends is known for having a very toxic community in that in-game, people are very toxic to each other. They're not necessarily being toxic about the game, just in the game, you know the stereotype of like people just saying, uh, you know, I fucked your mom <laughs> on, on Halo and stuff like that. It's time a thousand. The main problem is like people getting mad because the games go for like 30 minutes, right? Right. It's five versus five players. And if somebody is letting the team down, everybody really jump on that. And because it's a competitive game, it just keeps getting out of hand. And like the people are commonly telling each other to 
kill themselves, you know, things like that. Nice. People, yeah. People get mad and intentionally ruined the game by like deliberately dying over and over again, things like that. <laughs> so that's why yeah, this that game... sounds like a fun game. <laughs> <laughs> I used to play it. Uh, I'm not good at it, so I was the target of a lot of brutal, <laughs> brutal stuff. <laughs> so, see, nothing that is negative about the game is really about the narrative, in which there isn't really any. There's only like law because it's a multiplayer game, five versus five. Right. Like all the story and all the law come from like things they tell you about the characters and like the things you piece together from voice lines. And now there's a card game set in the universe is out, and as well as I think a new like turn-based RPG just came out. So like they're clearly expanding on the law, which most people don't know anything about. They just know this as a very toxic game. This show, Arcane does the really good job of borrowing a lot of elements from the established law and not being tied down to it in any way, shape, or form. They just do their own thing. So now the verdict we're all waiting for, now that I finally forced you to watch it all, what did you think? Well, look, I have to admit, I, uh, I fucking loved it. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> like, it, it, it really got me. Um, like I said, I was going to, I was going to watch it over a course of a few days and I wound up watching it in like two days um, because as soon as I watched the first episode, it was hooked. The storytelling is really mature. Like, and I don't mean that it's just about sex and drugs and violence. I, I mean, it's mature. It's in also that it's, about that. <laughs> it is about that. But it's mature in the sense that the story is very well crafted and very well put together. They put a lot of thought into how things work together and how the lore is built around the story and how the characters make the story happen and not the other way around. Like it's just, it's really, really well written and really well animated. And I, I, it's, it was, that's it. It's just really good. I really, really loved it. I was betting on that. I was betting very heavily on that. Otherwise this show would have gone very differently. <laughs> One of these days, we will cover something that one of us loves and the other hates. It's going to happen. And I can't wait, honestly. <laughs> Maybe we'll cover a David Cage game. <laughs> okay. But I mean, so, like I was saying before about Halo with, uh, with tropes, this game does have a lot of tropes of like a old school JRPG. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you got your airships, you've got the two cities, the, the rich city and the poor city, like literally underneath it. You've got um, magic technology. That's, yeah, a uh, random small furry character. You know, all <laughs> these things are just very JRPG. It feels like Final Fantasy VI or seven. Um, and, and that's fine. Like, I, I actually like those tropes. I, I love those games. I love JRPGs. Um, but here they're used as, as a way to uh, advance the story. They're not used as just weird stuff for weird stuff's sake, you know? Like, even Final Fantasy falls into that trap a lot. Mm. Um, this doesn't. So that's one of the things I just appreciated about it. Um, one thing this show doesn't feel the need to do is like they don't over explain stuff. Like they don't they they don't really bother to explain some of the weirdest elements that aren't relevant to the plot, like Harmendinger and who or what he is. They, they don't. <laughs> they, they, there isn't even an exposition line about what he is. They just like no, he's thousands of years old. He's kind of like Yoda. Whatever. Let's go with it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Like, uh, one of the council members maybe a robot <laughs> we don't know how, why or how 
He's like a steampunk robot. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He reminds me of the techno union dude from uh, oh, Star Wars prequels. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> One of them seemed to be wearing a bed trap or a clock around her neck. Oh, yeah, it was like, like, it was like a clockwork thing with the three yeah. concentric spiral or circles. It was really cool. Yeah. yeah. And like, especially the way it's broken out. So this year was delivered in three blocks of three episodes. And I think that's really good. Like, it's something that was really benefited by like it's almost like they gave us three movies <laughs> over three yeah, basically weeks. yeah, yeah. <laughs> because each act does have its, its own little um first second third act style <laughs> set up uh, a resolution you know um yeah so let's just go through them and i think you actually might have uh, benefited from not knowing anything about the world or league of legends yeah, and uh, I even made, I even went into it deliberately not reading and even the even the Netflix plot summary. I, I knew absolutely nothing about the show except what I'd seen in the preview going yeah. into it. Yeah. So Pildova and Zon, the two city in this, are not central to the League of Legends plot or law at all. Like they, really? they are small cities. Like the, the main things, are, the main <laughs> cities and stuff are like mentioned in the like the last three episodes. Like. Uh, Noxus, the mom who came to interfere in the <laughs> hashtag technology. Uh, it's, the large yeah, woman. Yes. Yeah, the, the <laughs> amazing large woman. I love her. She's so good. She She's from Noxus. Like, they, those are the main stuff. So, from the beginning, they just took, like, they're like, we're going to drill down into this corner of League of Legends for some reason. And then they just <laughs> double down on that. And I hey, really like awesome. that. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't know that. I honestly had no idea like how much it was taking from the games or how like from just the perspective of the show, I thought the games would have to be all about Piltover and Zon. But you're telling me that that's just like a minor aspect of the universe. Yeah, but the, the games are just because it's like I said, five versus five multiplayer. The, the, the framing for while, why they're fighting five versus five multiplayer is very thin. And it doesn't really make a lot of sense in a narrative sense. Uh, so I'm glad they didn't go into it. But I was wondering, like, in, like, episode th- uh, episode nine or something, we might have, like, five characters fighting against five characters. <laughs> you know? Just as a little nod. But they didn't even indulge in that. They just told a story set in this world. <laughs> well, are there... I mean, are there little winks and nods? Like I know in one episode, you like walk past a little creature on the street, but like these things that happen from the perspective of someone who never played the game, they just seem like universe building. They don't seem like winks and nods. I only kind of recognize them as winks and nods because I knew this was based on a video game. If I didn't know that, I wouldn't have thought anything of them. Yeah. So there's a lot of winks and nods. There's a a lot of world building. Like they mention a lot of things and even even little things like the the opera that they were watching in one of the scene is like telling a story, like a pretty um, major event in the, in one oh, of the okay. world. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, and some of it is like uh, also like very confusing. Like, I'm like, wait, what does that even mean? Because it, it clearly is a very different world from the games. Like you have a lot of familiar elements that's remixed. Like, um, uh, you know, the flashback to how Jace got rescued by some wizard. Right. Uh, right, who teleported them to Piltover, right? right. Uh, you, I watched that and I'm like, uh, were they from another world? <laughs> like, they seem to have teleported to a different planet, which yeah, yeah, was very confusing planet. to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And the hashtag is uh, in the games, 
but it's not like central to the thing. Like the game is the game setup isn't about like fight over hashtag or something, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the thing is, this is the part where I say it's probably beneficial if you don't know anything about the game. Some of the characters are champions from the game, like playable characters. So I imagine the, Jace is because of that giant hammer. Yes. Yeah. So knowing who are the characters really give you forewarned knowledge of who's safe, who will probably right. not die. <laughs> I get what you're saying. Okay, yeah. And uh, especially in the first three episodes, uh, if you play the games and know the champions enough, you, you realize, oh, these are their origin stories. Because like they don't have the iconic weapons or iconic skills yet. Right, yeah. So there's a case with Vi, Jinx, and Jace. All three right. of them. And then like each arc really, like you start realizing, oh, these are the origin story for the next round of characters. So like uh, as soon as you realize that Jace partner is Victor, you're like, oh, he had to like turn into some sort of energy vampire slash <laughs> robot man <laughs> with a third arm. And um, that didn't even happen by the end of the season. Like they have placed all the stuff here that is part of his champion status like they show off the little robot arm with the laser they show right, off that yeah. thing that corrupts <laughs> um so i'm gonna talk about some of the details from the game i'm gonna fill you in on it so yeah this this will be like the, like you know us talking about comics when we're talking about mcu is a prediction that could be considered spoiler so uh, but i have no idea what they you're gonna use and what they're not so yeah go ahead. yeah um so let, let's just start with the first three episodes, uh, where it begins. Uh, okay. Um, it starts fucking strong. Oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Can I quickly say, when I went into it, I, I was always going to watch it because I, I like the lore of League of Legends. And, you know, it's something up my alley. But I wasn't expecting it to be this good. Like, right. The opening thing happens, and like I almost double check. I'm like, am I even like, did I misclick? Are they do some weird uh, Netflix original anime? And I, I pause and I, I told my partner, I'm like, this is this is not really strong. Like, what is happening? <laughs> Why is this so good? <laughs> so sorry, go on. Uh, no, but like I said, since I knew nothing about the game, I didn't even realize that the first three episodes were more backstory than anything else it was more just telling the story of how everything starts mm. like i didn't even know that i i didn't i didn't know who the main characters were i sort of knew that the show was about two sisters just from the trailer mm. so i knew that like vi and and powder were probably going to be figure in but i didn't realize that there was going to be that big time jump like i just never pieced it together in my brain because i didn't think about it too hard yeah and that alone i think separates this from some other things we've talked about like when we talked about cowboy bebop I talked a lot about how it handled backstory and how I thought it handled it poorly. Mm -hmm. This show handles it perfectly. Yeah. Not only does it give it to you up front, gives it to you early on, even later in the show in later episodes, when it, when it flashes back, it's always brief and it always is to the point and it shows you something new and interesting that you didn't know before. Yeah. And you didn't get that in Cowboy Bebop really. Yeah. Um, it, this would be like if Cowboy Bebop had taken that, episode right before the end of like the second to last episode that gave the whole backstory between um fearless and vicious fearless and vicious thank you that gave their whole backstory if it, if it had been the first three episodes of the mm. series instead and they had put more time and effort into it and made it less cliche mm. it could have worked a lot better to make their relationship more interesting like the relationship between vi and powder that carries this whole series is intense and really really powerful and yeah. i don't think you could have gotten that unless you had devoted three whole episodes to their backstory 
Yeah. Um, so jumping in, I quickly realized that there will have to be a time jump, not because the plot is setting up something central to um, League of Legends or something. It's, uh, this is all about the characters and Vi and the character's name in the game is Jinx. She's, she's, she's right. Jinx, not Powder. So that quickly told me that, oh, these, this is about Vi and Jinx becoming the iconic versions. So I, I like so that's why I think like it really is good for you if you know nothing about the game. If you, even if you if you don't even know the champions. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know yeah. any of that. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I thought it was setting up for like Jace and Vi to become like uh r- r- relationship interests or something, which totally doesn't happen. And no, and I'm glad it doesn't happen. That would be awful. <laughs> that is Vi and Caitlin. Yeah, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> and we'll talk about that later. Uh, but the first episode, like, it really does a good job also of laying out very quickly what the theme of this show is yes. or what the basic themes of the show are. Yeah. You've got, there's a, there's a, there's a scene where they're running away from the enforcers and they're running back into their little undercity um, after having blown up a building by accident. Yeah. And they come across a kid, uh, Deckard, I think is his name, which obvious Blade Runner reference. Yeah. And they get into a fight and... First of all, the fighting is really kind of gritty and realistic. Like people are actually, it's not glorified violence, at least not yet in the show. Like at this point, it's, it's very like, it feels real. It's, it's clumsy. It's kind of brutal. Yeah. And it, you, it, it feels like everybody gets hurt and nobody yeah. wins. Yeah. Um, yeah. It feels like a John Wick fight, not like a Fast and Furious fight. Right. Exactly. And right at the end of it, Deckard is about to get up with a knife and, you know, take it to the next level. And Vi yeah. just stares him down and says, do you really want to see how this is going to play out? Yeah. And that is the show in a nutshell. Like, do you really want to see how violence escalating is going to play out? And that's what yeah. the show does. I mean, yeah. it shows you violence gradually escalating and escalating and escalating. Yeah. And then, you know, she goes home and she talks to her adoptive father, Vander, who is an awesome character, by the way. Um, and he, he, he lays it out even straighter. He's like, look, you do not want to go down this road. You don't know what you're doing. You, you have a sister to take care of. And if you keep doing this, what are you going to sacrifice? What are you going to lose if you go down this road? Yeah. And sure enough, even by episode three, you find out and she loses pretty much everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that's really good writing. So good. And, and it, it hinges on that righteous anger of youth yes. and it's relatable and understandable. Yeah. 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 This is one of the properties that is it's not really cyberpunk, uh, but it's more steampunk than cyberpunk. <laughs> yeah, but it definitely captured the punk version of oh, yeah, cyberpunk. That a, a lot of cyberpunk and steampunk things forget. Like, yeah. They forget the punk. <laughs> they forget the attitude. Right, <laughs> and steampunk, when you forget the punk, it's veer very dangerously into like just a love letter for effective colonialism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just becomes like Professor Layton or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like even the beginning scene, like it's just soldiers walking down the bridge and executing people. Oh yeah, right. I like, about that. Yeah. <laughs> immediately set the stone, uh, set the tone, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> so Vi is known for having those big gauntlets. So it immediately teased the, the the prototype version of the gauntlets with the weapon that Vanda is using. Yeah, it's you. I think you even see them before you see Vander. Like the camera yeah. just immediately shows that and yeah. hands down to Vander. Yeah. Yeah, the, the first episode especially is very good at building the world and then very good at setting up expectations and then quickly subverting them. 
because uh, they set up Piltover as like very rich people, one percent a city, like the way I joke. But right, and then yeah. as soon as we drill down into Jace, we quickly find out that oh, that's not necessarily the case. Not the, the entire city can't be rich. <laughs> you know? Right. No, I mean it, it does a really good job of like showing the point of view of both yeah. sides and yeah. not making either side out to be wholly righteous or wholly villainous you know yeah um i appreciate that yeah and like jace is uh they are right that by the under city standard that jace is very well off but then we quickly find out that hey like he's also struggling he also has his own yeah. problem <laughs> <laughs> he almost died <laughs> he lost well, his mom. To be fair, most of his problems are illegal experimentation <laughs> that's true yeah <laughs> So um, I think in the first three episodes, the main thing is you learning to love the characters. And you mentioned you love Vanda, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So let's uh, go through the characters arc in the first three episodes. Well, since Vander's arc is entirely devoted to the first three episodes, let's talk about that. Um, he's obviously gotten to a point where he's gotten this to this very like Tao-like peaceful middle way thinking where he's yeah. decided that avoiding violence is a better path to peace than fighting. Yeah. And he's had to make compromises in order for that to happen, for that to work. He's, yeah. you know, he's working with the enforcers to some extent. He's got yeah. to deal with them at least. And he's trying to maintain the peace, even as his adoptive daughters are causing havoc. Yeah. Um, and that's spiraling out of control until eventually he is given what's it called? Shimmer by yeah. by a bad guy of his own making which yeah. is also another big theme yeah. of the show and that that is a representative example of just pure unbridled violence it makes him a, a superhuman killing machine yeah. it's like a rage a rage drug basically yeah it's, um this dr jekyll mr hyde formula you know, yeah yeah basically. but even under the influence of that he's still trying to he is fighting he's fighting against the bad guy uh silco and his goons or whatever but he's still trying desperately to just get his 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 kids out and maintain some semblance of peace when this is all said and done and he yeah. dies trying to do that and i think that that his death makes it clear that this show is not going to be about a happy ending this isn't mm. going to be where peace wins out over violence this is a show where violence is always going to win yes and i think his arc is is just very telling of the the whole show yeah yeah, I agree with all of that, but at some level, though, I think Vanda is maybe like one of the weaker characters in the series because of the quality of the characters overall. I think in a lot of the other shows, Vanda will be definitely among the top characters. But in here, it seems to me that because we don't get much of his actual backstory shown to us, like he's sometimes too good to be true, you know? Yeah, and, and to be fair, he is pretty one-dimensional, yeah. um, especially compared to other characters. And also his his arc is kind of forced on him. Like, he doesn't actually turn to violence. Violence is given to him. Yeah. And I think that is a little bit weaker. Yeah. But, I'm but he's not really him. dead. So the monster version of him will probably return in uh, season well, two yeah. or something. For sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whenever that comes out, because this took like five, six years to make, I think. <laughs> and it is Netflix, so we don't really know for sure there'll be a second season. <laughs> well, this was wildly successful. Sure there will be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, this can't be as expensive as Cowboy Bebop. I mean, yeah, it's animated and yeah, it takes a really long time, <laughs> but I mean, 
Netflix seems to be very good with animation, at least like the Castlevania series went on and on way past uh, the point where uh, people had turned on it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I like the last season. I think they turned it back around in the last season. Yeah. But, <laughs> going back to what you said about Vanda's death, not real death, kind of, kind of death, showed a lot about the tone of the show, uh, about uh, how, you know, nobody is safe, really. I think more so even the orphan's death also do that as well. Like, they yeah, straight that up. was hardcore. They straight yeah. up murder two orphans. Like, yeah. just right there. They two show children's, which is, like, a big no-no on entertainment. Like, people... Oh, for sure. Even when it <laughs> happens, it's, like, implied. Camera cuts away. But no, this camera zooms in right in center. They get crushed to death. <laughs> and, they, and they even show you their dead bodies close up. Yep. They're very dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The first three episodes start strong and strong. Yeah. And here's the part that I was mentioning before that if you do know their games a little bit more, it's actually slightly weaker experience because the, the four orphans, you're like, okay, there are four orphans, two not from the game and two characters from the game, which one <laughs> I think will survive. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that because going into it, knowing that this was based on a video game, I expected the other two orphans to survive just because of the way they're their characters are drawn they yeah. look like rpg characters yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've got the yeah. like the tinkerer with the he's a big guy and he's got you know the goggles and everything he looks like an rpg character totally yeah. and the other guy looks like a rogue you know it's yeah. and this, so i uh, totally unexpected for me that they were that they bought it <laughs> yeah and this show is very good at that like with character design of all the side characters and even like background characters they all seem to be full of character and unique, you know? Yeah, yeah. Nobody seems like a scene filler. <laughs> totally, yeah. The only other thing I wanted to say about the first three episodes is that there's this one scene where uh, Mel, the, the leader of the council, is like picking out something to give to one of the other council members. And yeah. she winds up giving him just like a kid's toy. But yeah. right at the beginning, she's playing with a cube that looks yeah. just like the Lament configuration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> and I was like, whoa, whoa, where is this show going? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing Victor ended up making also look a lot like the Lament configuration. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, my favorite detail about that children's toy puzzle, she gave him to flatter his um, intelligence. The funny thing is, after the time jump, he still hasn't unlocked it. He's yeah, still, playing, he's still with it. playing with it until the last episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what do you think about Jake's character arc in the first three episodes? He seemed a little generic to me at first. Uh, it didn't help that he kind of looks and sounds like Matt Damon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he does. But he does. His, his backstory is interesting, and yeah. the fact that he is driven. He's actually driven by a desire to do good. Yeah. But I think I think his character becomes more interesting in the second block. Yeah. Okay, so in the second block of episodes, you really see Jace. He's resisting the allure of, or he's trying to resist the allure of power, of yeah. like, of progress done recklessly just for progress's sake. Even though yeah. he really, really wants his technology to work and he's willing to cross a few lines to get it to happen, he's still... He, he still doesn't want power. He doesn't, he doesn't want to do things recklessly. Yeah. What he wants is progress. He just needs power to do it. Right. And he has the opportunity to unveil his new technology before it's ready. And Victor even thinks he's about to do it. And you understand that from Victor's point of view, because Victor's obviously dying. You know that right away. Yeah. I don't think the show even says it until later, but it's pretty obvious. And he chooses not to, even though 
he has every reason to like politically, uh, personally, uh, financially, he's got every motive in the world to do it. Yeah. And he chooses not to, yeah. which for him was a really important moment. And then immediately after that scene, you jump to a bunch of uh, enforcers running right into rushing headlong into a fire, into a trap where they all die. Yeah. Just because they, they recklessly go ahead without thinking through what they're doing. They don't have a plan. Yeah. Which to be fair, they are firefighters. That's kind of what you have to do as a firefighter, but still it was a neat juxtaposition. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, with Jace and Victor is also another one of the things where they set up a trope, sidestep step it and then subvert it. Especially if you have prior knowledge of the game, you know that Victor is a very villainous champion from the game. Like It's not like there's a clear divide between heroes and villains uh, in the champions. They're just playable characters, but their backstory clearly might make them out to be like either good guys or bad guys, right? And Victor, yeah, I'm sure their character design helps too. Like, yeah. you know, you got one guy wearing white and being all heroic yeah. looking and you got another guy who looks like a, a monster, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Victor, like in the ch- champion, like I've never even seen his face before He's because he's wearing like a mask. Right. Oh, okay. so, like, um, so in this pairing, you think that Jace is going to get betrayed by Victor, right? Especially with prior knowledge, especially how driven he is and especially how he's the one who come and get him and initiate this, uh, do further uh, and continue this illegal research. But turned out it's Jace that gets corrupted by power. And all Victor does is like sacrifice himself. Uh, he never, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, he accidentally got that girl killed. But it's never like Victor that is pushing Jace down the wrong path, which they were pretty heavily implying in the first three episodes. Even even from somebody who'd never played the games and knew nothing about the character of Victor, like when he's first introduced, he is introduced as he looks like a villain. He sounds like a villain. He's got the physical deformity that's classic. Disney, Disney villainification of yeah people. Uh, This guy's and he's and he's like deliberately a little shady, like the way he talks and the things he's saying, and he's going behind Heimdigger's back and stuff like that. So you think he's going to be the bad guy, and if anything, Jace is the one who betrays him. But even then, not really. And they both kind of understand each other and kind of forgive each other. Yeah, Um, clearly, it's going to escalate further in continuation of this story, right? Yeah, so season two is going to have to be worse. about the two of them coming to grips with each other, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that's, that's uh, definitely one of them. Another one is jumping back to Vi's story. At the end, when the policeman takes her away, uh, in the games, Vi's a cop. Oh, really? Yeah, so I was <laughs> like, uh, so now she's going to get raised as a cop? So I was pretty surprised when the second arc happened and she was like in jail, which right. makes more sense. Like this guy isn't going to like adopt the child, a child that is the <laughs> proof of his evidence of his criminal conspiracy. <laughs> right. He's just going to bury it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's another one of the things they like they subvert. I'm glad they didn't make her a call. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, like, knowing that now, I can see how they're setting that up in the long term. Yeah, um, I think so. Because she's obviously trying to do good. After she gets released from prison, she's, she's realized her mistakes, and she's trying to make things right. I mean, that's that's her whole character at that point. Yeah. yeah. And but she but falls in love with Caitlin, who is a cop. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, although I don't know if you'll get to keep her job. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> 
But most of like Vi story is also uh, motivation also makes sense because it's not suddenly she's trying to save the world. She's trying to save her sister. Just the yeah, world that's is all that just really matters. To yeah. <laughs> The world is just there. It was just implicated. <laughs> There's even scenes where she's like, um, she she finds herself in the middle of all these events. And, you know, there's the blue crystal sitting right there that she could use to help save the world and stop all the madness. And she's just like, I don't even give a shit about that. Yeah. I would just care about my sister. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I think tying the, because there's a lot of plot like a lot of different plot threads, like, but tying it all together as a story about two sisters was really smart. It really grounds it. Yeah, and the character of Powder slash Jinx is utterly fascinating. Yeah. Um, I think it's because, Harlequin done really well. Like It is, yeah, totally. It's very Harlequin, except yeah. without the Joker. Uh, yeah. um, it's Harlequin if like she had made a horrible mistake as a child and had caused people's deaths, yeah. you know? And then was raised by a terrorist. You can kind of say Silco is hot Joker. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but like she, she's definitely Harlequin with a lot more agency, and that's what I like about her. Right? Like, oh yeah, like she the whole the whole show she's doing her own thing. She does yeah. not answer to anybody. Even even yeah. Silco, she does not really answer yeah. to Silco. Even Vi is wrong. Like Vi is like Silco ruined. Jinx. I'm like, no, trauma ruined Jinx. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. It's really also partly you. <laughs> Silco just kind of... If anything, And she really, realizes that in the very end. Like, in the last episodes, yeah. she even says yeah. that. That, yeah, I'm the, I'm the one who's responsible for this. Yeah. If anything, like, Silco kind of showed her unconditional love. <laughs> it was more of, like, a father-daughter love, for her at least. For him, it might have been creepier than that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think they also do a good job of like implying creepiness without actually doing anything, without actually saying or doing anything outrightly creepy. Like it's all body language and how right, exactly creepily familiar and touchy she is with him and things like that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, but he never does anything inappropriate. Like it's always her that's like weirdly affectionate, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so like it's they definitely make that relationship creepy without having to actually do anything creepy, which good for showing um, restraint, right. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I also like how the, these middle block of episodes, there is one central arc, which is just getting Vi back together with Powder or slash Jinx. Like, yeah. And it ends with them briefly getting back together before they're separated again yeah. um, on that rooftop. Yeah. And I like how that plays out. They, they're, not, they're not instantly enemies, but they're still not you know, sisters, you know, it's a little, it's a little subverting what you expect to happen. Um, yeah. And I appreciate that. Yeah. That reunion actually go a lot more reasonable than I thought. Like, yeah, usually I thought it was going to be a very tropey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I usually when TV show does things like this, it's just people not saying things they need to say, you know, uh, yeah. but no, like those characters meet and just say things that, any logical person would be the first thing that they should say in this situation. They do, they do all of that. It's just that there's so much uh, rift between them, so much history now that like their words don't really mean anything anymore. Don't reach each other, which is a much better way of handling this. You know, um, in the last show, she wouldn't say like I didn't leave you, like I got arrested. <laughs> but no, she just straight up say it. Like, you know? <laughs> I also like there's that there's logic to Jinx's irrationality. Like it's not just crazy for crazy's sake. Like 
you can kind of see emotionally why she would immediately think Caitlin is some kind of threat because a, she's a cop and B she's kind of surrogate taking her place. Yeah. Um, I like how that makes sense that she totally blows it out of proportion because she's insane. Yeah. But you get it. It makes, you don't even have to explain it. It just, it works. The visual representation of Jinx insanity is just real. Like the scratches and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the, (laughs) The dead kids, they know how oh. dead brothers that she keeps seeing. Oh, God. And like the, the dolls she keeps at her, whatever, her hovel. I don't even know what you call it. Yeah. <laughs> evil Leia. Evil Leia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got like dolls of the her dead friends and she talks to them. And sometimes she's talking to them when she's not there and, and they're not there. Nobody's there. And then, <laughs> <laughs> it's really creepy. I love it. Yeah. Oh, look, it is like, it's not a good portrayal of mental health like it's a, no it's she's a, it's a, it's a so issue. far gone she's yeah. she's ex-girlfriend's level of crazy <laughs> <laughs> but like it's it, you know it's very fictionalized over the top portrayal of mental issues but yeah in this world it fit and you know they handled it well i think yeah uh, i think so too yeah oh uh one of the little uh details that i want to mention you remember when she's in her layer and she's like singing along to a song that is about her. Oh yeah. That, that is about Jinx <laughs> and clearly recorded in her voice. Like that <laughs> League of Legends does that every once in a while. They have fictional bands. Like they have bands that are supposed to be the characters as a band that they right. hire like like real singers to uh, play the characters off. Uh, they have like a K-pop band who also uh, <laughs> called KDC that uh, play as if they are the characters. So that's actually from the game. Like it's a song Jinx sings about herself, which she's so crazy that in this world, like she has clearly wrote a song about herself, recorded it and listened. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I, I totally bought it. <laughs> <laughs> And like I like how like they don't shy away from like bringing in the crazy elements of the the game and just like doing something silly with it in a good way. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Even back in the first episode, like when they're jumping from balcony to balcony, there was like a plate of snacks that they keep stealing as they jump. Oh yeah. <laughs> and that's like that's a reference to the game as well, like called Poro Snack. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. See, that's an example of Easter egg that, like, I didn't even realize was an Easter egg. It's just part of the universe to me. Yeah. I think they spent the first three episodes definitely trying to establish everything in their own weight. But the second block and the third block lean a lot more into Easter egg. There's a lot of Easter egg everywhere. And, like, they mention a lot of the other regions. They talk about Bilgewater. They talk about the Pirate City. Uh, they, they talk about Noxus, and we meet somebody from Noxus in um, episode three. Uh, I don't think they ever mentioned Damascia, so that might be a big major plot point in the second city. Like, this is another... Damascia is a very stereotypical, like, great golden medieval city uh, where all the heroes, legends right. live. And Noxus is like the barbarian horde that is, like, out to enforce mightiest right across the world. <laughs> okay, yeah. I can see that. No, I mean, the show does do a good job of, of of at least implying that there's a much bigger universe outside of this one city. Yeah. And you do get a sense that there's other cities out there that are very important, yeah. um, especially towards the latter late, later episodes. You you kind of figure out that um, Piltover is not really a big city. It's just important because they are the ones who created Hextech. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And 
it's a really good decision to start in Piltover and Zong because the major, other major ones, like you know, if they went with Noxus and Damasia, they feel more stereotypical. But now that they have established this world, like even when we expand into Noxus and Damasia, uh, it, it will feel like this established, lifted world who also have cities that can be um, stereotypical. It doesn't matter anymore, right? Because they've proven themselves. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, though, the middle block is the weakest of the three. Oh, I agree. Like, the, the, the beginning and the end are really, really strong. The, begin, the middle, it's necessary. Like, you have to catch up with these characters and you have to set the stage for the, the final block. But it, it, it does have that act two problem where it just, it feels, it feels slower and not yeah. as interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the Fireflies. Uh, when did you figure out who the Firefly leader is? Um, maybe just like a couple of minutes before the reveal. It was it was really late. Like I, I felt stupid for not figuring it out uh, sooner. Yeah, I I didn't figure it out until uh, the scene where Silco almost got killed, like crushed under a thing. Right. Like uh, then I'm like, oh, oof. Firefly guy is probably like I completely forgot that character existed, you know, <laughs> after the time jump because there's so many characters. I'm like, it's probably that kid. <laughs> well, what happened for me, it was around the same time, was I was thinking about that one like mutated guy that Vi recognized. And I was like, yeah. who the hell could that be? Is that somebody we've met in the show? And then I remembered Echo and I was like, that's definitely not Echo because that guy's white. <laughs> <laughs> but it reminded me of Echo. And then I'm like, oh, wait, Echo could be that character. And then sure enough, it was. <laughs> Yeah. Do you remember who the uh, mutated guy is? No, I don't. Actually, I never remember. He's the guy that Xander saved in his bar as he was being threatened. For, uh, they were making a deal, and then the, uh, the other two people were trying to change the deal, and Xander come down and defend him. And it's the big character right. moment for Xander to show like he's king of the thief city, you know? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> that's a deep cut. I, didn't, I never placed it. So that's, that's why, good. like, his little line about, like, I took Shema because I, like, it also shows that, like, after Vanda and the Vanda-like character and his, uh, his uh, guidance and his ruling leave the city, how Silco is way more poorly suited to take care of people. Uh, he said, I just want to feel not afraid for right. a change. I just want to scare other people for a change. You right, know? right. <laughs> And I even got that, even though I didn't recognize the character from the first episode. But yeah, yeah, definitely. So what do you what do you think about the file? Well, I mean, this 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 goes perfectly. We're going to go ahead and just move into the, the last block, because the first episode of the last block, episode seven, is all about the fireflies. That's where you yeah. you really get to know them. Um, yeah. Start with a weird little rep video for some reason. I enjoyed yeah. it. I don't know why it's there. <laughs> <laughs> like. I'll be honest. I'm not. I'm not a rap guy. I know I'm not a rap guy, but I enjoyed that <laughs> pasty white person. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I I understand the show and how it's using music and uh, pop music. I'm an old curmudgeon, so it's all awful to me. But I get it, and it works for the show. It works for the style of the show. And from what you've been saying about League of Legends, it sounds like it fits the style of the game too. But anyway, the Fireflies. At first, I thought it was pretty generic you know, this generic rebel group that's fighting against the power, you know? Yeah. But I think, I think they're a little less tropey once you really get to know them. I mean, sure. They're peaceful living around a tree, blah, blah, blah. But 
Well, they're not know. peaceful. They're robbing people. Well, they're, yeah, I mean, they're still they're still violence. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> but they're trying to have a safe haven. They're trying yeah, to. Yeah. Yeah, they're not looking for all that wall we built over. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think they're interesting and more nuanced, and Echo becomes a really cool character at that point. Yeah. I'm so glad he survived. I thought he was dead on that bridge. Yeah, yeah me too, honestly. The bridge scene was intense. Um, that bridge scene really got to me suddenly. Like I did I wasn't even attached to Echo, I didn't know. And like I welled up when they are facing down each other and it cuts to like a imagination version of them playing as a child and it yeah. really got to me <laughs> at first i'm like oh this is hokey and then like by the end of it i'm like wow that was really effective <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> oh <laughs> like that did some fucking heavy lifting there and like this reminds me of um spider-man into the spider-verse in that they t- seem to take a lot of like risk in just being unconventional with random animation trick and storytelling yeah i think you see it more in this one episode than you do anywhere else in the show but yeah, yeah. you're right yeah uh, including that little weird rap <laughs> i was very confused when i started the episode like wait what what's going on <laughs> i'm like did i watch the trailer instead of the episode <laughs> um i think this last arc is very strong, but at the same time, it's uh, some of the story lines didn't really wrap up. <laughs> yeah, and Echo is a good example of that. Yeah, because he survives, and then he meets Time Digger, and then they go back to the Firefly encampment. Yeah, and then that's it. Yeah, <laughs> you don't really know what happens after that. Yeah. He doesn't have an arc. He just he has that one big fight at the bridge, and that's pretty much all he does. Yeah. And like he just he just become an exposition vehicle for Heimerdinger to be like uh, to see all the realities of difficulties of Undercity. Uh, well, it, it also the fact that I uh, Echo and Heim, Heimerdinger are two of the very very few characters who survive without being corrupted in some way. Like almost every other character chooses the dark path in the long run. Like they become corrupt. Even Jace eventually falls for the seduction of power uh he yeah. tries to fight against it but he loses yeah until the very end where he seems to turn back around but that's yeah the well, very that missile is going to change his views on thing i think oh for sure yeah <laughs> where it ends is going to change a lot um <laughs> but yeah because echo and heimerdinger are the two least corruptible characters in the whole show there's really not much you can do with them as characters because in order to make them dynamic you have to take away what makes them unique yeah uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, with Heimerdinger, with uh, already existing knowledge of the champion Heimerdinger in the game, they're leaving it in a very interesting place. And it is very promising for me because Heimerdinger in the game, he makes gadgets that are weapons. So it's very strange for this whole thing in that Heimerdinger is like, no, never weapon, be very peaceful. Like, we have to reverse the status quo. And he is... He represents conservatism, not in like the political theory, like the very the philosophy of conservatism, right? Right, the like, dictionary definition of conservatism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like in that he's he he's very careful because he knows the dangers change can bring. But I think where they left him is he's at a point where, especially the final scene with Echo, he realized that all he's done is in fear he has propped up 
a system that has crushed these people underfoot forever that in fear of change he have helped (laughs) preserve (laughs) right so i think he's he's at a stage where he's realizing like he was all he was doing was preserving privilege (laughs) you know right yeah (laughs) and and it left him in a way that he he could become the champion character in, from the game where he might actually take up violence and making weapons and start messing with magic and stuff. And, and like that's really interesting because like you're not sure is that that's like a corruption or actually a better magic? You know? Yeah, maybe he's actually just waking up to reality. Like, yeah, there's exactly. a really cool scene where he's before he meets Echo, he's walking through Zon just naively. He's like, yeah, I yeah. just wanted to talk to the people and see what's yeah. going on and yeah. nobody wants to talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> like how privileged and naive are you right exactly <laughs> i also like his little uh, cloak disguise i'm like buddy you're the only like foot person in this town <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> nobody is gonna be like that hairy child has a cloak <laughs> <laughs> yeah i really like heimerdinger and especially considering like we've discussed it before he's like one of those characters that is against what the audience wants right so it's easy very easy to fuck up that kind of characters and the audience is like no i hate that guy because he's always there trying to stop what we want to happen (laughs) (laughs) but the way he is like even though sometimes you're like oh come on i'm an Uh, the way he is like the show is very good at making him seem reasonable and like like the adult who are like Please, please stop. Stop doing that. Whereas the rest of the council is like... Especially in relation to Jace, he seems like he's trying to be his conscience. Yeah. yeah. And ultimately, Jace's betrayal of Heimerdinger is kind of where Jace allows corruption to finally seep into him. He yeah. finally does something irreparable. That, yeah. was, that was heartbreak. Like, that was, <laughs> totally. And he couldn't even look at him. <laughs> yeah. um, but also like something definitely Heimerdinger need. And maybe yeah. even pilt over. Because Jace wasn't completely wrong. No, no, that's one of the things about the show. Nobody is completely wrong. Exactly. That's the thing. I I love shows. Like, you'll often hear me say that about shows I like. Like, nobody's really the villain. There are people who've done villainous things. Yeah, and this last block of episodes, the one character that they they actually did justice to, who I thought was a pretty one-dimensional villain, was Marcus, the the corrupt enforcer. You find out in the last block of episodes that he's got a daughter, that he's still trying to preserve the deal he had with Vander, with Silco. Yeah, well, his his predecessor had with Vander. Right, his predecessor had, right. Yeah. Um, and you can you can see that he has gone he's gone to the dark side. He's been corrupted, but at the same time, he's still fighting for what he thinks is right. Yeah. It makes sense from him. He's trying to salvage a clusterfuck, you know, yeah. he, he, he sees that things are falling apart and he's doing his best to stop it. Yeah. Yeah. And it also made me like Silco a lot more, like to a point where, I mean, I was on board with Silco by the time uh, the middle episodes came along because you know, when the tower fell on him, I was legitimately like, I hope they didn't kill off Silco because like, he's right, really yeah, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In here, like what seemed to be some sort of twisted, genuine affection for Jinx came along where like he does make a decision to actually protect Jinx overall. And the fact that he wasn't going to sell her out for his life goal, you know? So yeah, that, you totally believe that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It ties everything together in this family thing. Like, and it's sad when Silco dies in the end because Jinx genuinely has lost 
a father figure, no matter how creepy it is for them, is real. Yeah, and and and, and Silco's a weird inverse of all the other characters, where you see all the other characters get corrupted. You kind of see Silco trying to uncorrupt himself. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. <laughs> it's really interesting. Exactly. Jinx almost like pulled him out of the darkness, right? Right. Like, and his second command, his enforcer, is definitely right that he is putting all his ambitions in danger and on hold for Jinx. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it's not so much that he even thinks she's wrong. He just thinks that that's a price worth paying. Yeah. Any of the other characters you want to drill down on? We didn't really talk about Kaylin. Is Kaylin a, a character from yes. the game? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure. It could go either way. <laughs> yeah. Kaylin hasn't got her most iconic weapon yet, which is like the gun, but like it's look more like a blunderbussy. Uh, she is like a long range sniper like character. She also quickly goes to her character stage without much buildup. Like by the time she's a cop, she's pretty much the, the character from the game. Well, I like her arc in terms of she starts in a, in a position of privilege. I mean, she was raised in privilege and she's a cop and she kind of has an she's not entirely naive. She knows that there's things going on, but she's never seen it for herself. Like she's never been to Zon at that point. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, she winds up going to Zon, fearlessly going to Zon and, you know, facing down the shit that happens there. And she's not really prepared for it, no. but it, it helps her develop as a character to a point where she understands the conflict better than most of the other characters. Like she has been to both worlds and she understands that there is good to Zon, that there's there's people worth saving. In fact, she falls in love with Vi, which is a perfect representation of her, you know, falling in love with the people of Zon. Yeah. And I think that I think her character is really key in that way. Um, she's she's not a major player in the in the whole show, but I think her character is really important. Yeah. In that regard, just thematically. Yeah. And her story is one that is very easy to fuck up and hard to do well in that right. uh, her story arc is like, oh, uh, hey, privilege can also still be difficult. Like, it's so easy right. to fuck up. It's so easy to <laughs> turn trite. And you're going to be like, oh, look at this poor rich people. But they nailed it in that, like, all she wants is to do her job, but she can't because, and everybody think of her as uh, this stupid airheaded <laughs> kid just because her family is rich and all she wants is to, like, prove herself. <laughs> yeah, and she's already figured out by the time that we get to the time jump, she's already figured out that the system is corrupt. Yeah. She's already, she doesn't completely have the picture worked out, but she's already got like, you know, the whole map thing on the floor of her room. Yeah. You know, she's already figured out that there's a lot of shady shit going on on both yeah. sides. And I, I like that kind of like detective story, amateur detective story. Yeah. I wish there had been tax and string, but you know, yeah. you can get everything. <laughs> yeah. My, my only complaint is like, we wish, I wish we got more of Caitlin. Like, yeah. Um, and I do think she'll be she'll be a bigger character in the second season. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, so I think that's all the characters pretty much covered. So do you wanna do you have some general thoughts on like the music and the animation? Well, like I said, I'm not really a modern pop music guy. Like if it wasn't made in the 80s and 90s, it's trash. But <laughs> <laughs> um I, I exaggerate. Uh, I did like it, actually. I did like the pop music. Are you familiar yeah. with Imagine Dragons? Yeah, I have a 12-year-old son. Of course I'm familiar okay. with Imagine Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> People really hate Imagine Dragons. I don't know why. They're fine. Um, I really like that song Believer that's in a lot of movie trailers. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's one of those cases where like people always hate overplayed stuff, um, especially on radio and stuff. But 
since I stopped listening to radio, like why would I let other people curate what music I listen to? Like all my music hates have washed away because I'm like, Taylor Swift, I don't care. Nothing off the bike. Yeah, listen to what you like. Yeah. Justin Bieber, that's fine. Like, he's kind of a dick, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Same thing with Imagine Dragons, but I really like the, like, it's funny to me the vitriolic hate they get. (laughs) Um, I mean, some of the criticisms are truly correct. A lot of Imagine Dragons songs the same. (laughs) Yes, a lot of their songs sound exactly the same. Sure. But whatever. That's true (laughs) of a lot of bands. So like how many Dragon, times are we going to listen to Red Hot Chili Peppers sing about California, you know? That's true, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, but Red Hot Chili Pepper at least have, like, musical diversity. Uh, yeah, even and if I'm pretty sure Flea thing. has more skill than all of the Magic Dragons put together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, it, it is legit that, like, Imagine, Imagine Dragons uh, playlist <laughs> just kind of run together, right? Uh, but the thing is, Imagine Dragon has a very, intri- like, interwoven tie with League of Legends. Like the right. yeah, members... the, the, I love their cameo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a bit much of like facial tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was funny. And you can see it was kind of tongue in cheek, you know? Yeah. yeah. So Imagine Dragons like the band members are fans of the game and they started playing in the big final world tournaments for the game like they become the musical guests uh in one of the first major tournament with a lot of money like millions of price money behind it and they pretty much have played multiple times since then so that's why they're very intricately tied to that and then <laughs> as soon as the thing sound started i laughed i'm like yeah of course it's a magic right <laughs> uh, like one of the songs is specifically written for league of legends that's yeah, that's cool. Sure. <laughs> Why not? You wouldn't know from the lyrics because they're pretty generic. Yeah. Well, it's Imagine Dragons. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about the animation? Uh, like you said, it, it wasn't afraid to take risks. You see that in a lot of different places, um, especially in that one episode we talked about, uh, but also in, you know, Jinx's crazy vision. And there were also scenes where they were, they were willing to go just metaphorical, not really show you a reality, but show mm-hmm. you just like the impression of a reality, like when you see Silco's flashback and he's drowning, you see him like in the middle of this just giant ocean of water. That's not how yeah. it happened, obviously, yeah. in the context of the story, but like that's yeah. how it felt for him. And he's trying to explain his character arc where he had to make a decision to either die or keep fighting. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was really poignant and really interesting and, and very artistic, actually. Yeah. And yeah, I think I think I think that the uh, the art style of the show was slick without being too reliant on like cg or anything it was obviously used but yeah. it wasn't it wasn't front and center it was still yeah. true to but you mean like when, when you say you, you cg you mean like special effects i mean because it's all cg well yeah it's all cg but yeah. you know what i mean yeah like yeah, yeah. like using flashy special effects that yeah yeah doing. exactly it doesn't rely on that too heavily yeah um and i appreciate that yeah i want to even drill down to the minutia of the animation and okay. I want to uh, talk about this trick on uh, assessing uh, animation show's budget and craft behind it, which is right. look at the walk cycle of characters. Look at the gait and their, their, their stance and the way they walk, um, especially even minor characters, because uh, that's the easiest thing to cheap out on, right? For a lot of the people to like, you're like, okay, these characters need to walk talk, stop, like, let's animate it, and then let's apply that animation to everything. 
even in a crowd scene. Yeah, especially in CG because you just set up the rigging and you can just apply it to the character model, right? But right. big budgets one, especially in Arcane, if you look at it, every single character has a unique walk. Like if they were in shadow, or like you would after you get to know the character, you would immediately know who walked into the scene, right? Just from like their stance, their walk alone. Like Vi walks different from Caitlyn, and then things like that, and. Like even little touches like that, I I really appreciate it. Like any scene in Undercity, like it seems bustling, and then like even the minor characters have like read a lot of like natural movement and flow to them. And I think that's really important to establishing a space like Undercity and make it seems really thriving. Like make it seem attractive as well as like corrupt and seedy. <laughs> Right. And I would even go beyond that. I would say that even within the individual gates, yeah. like not every step is the same. Yeah. Um, and as the show progresses, like take take Vi, for example, uh, when she when she starts the future episodes, when she starts in episode four, she's very strong, confident. She's 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 all put together. She's standing strong. She's standing straight. And by the end, she has been beaten down and she's yeah. limping and she's struggling to just move. And her gait has evolved slowly over the course of the show. as she's got more and more beat up. Um, and I think that's, that's really, that's a good hallmark of a, uh, animation that they're not, they're not even cheapening out on using something they, they did in a previous scene ago, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like it's, clearly done with love that's why i compare it to like the spider-man um into the spider-verse thing like it's clearly uh, combed over every moment with like <laughs> yeah. fine attention to detail and i i because of that like you even love the small little characters that pop up one of my favorite characters uh, is the the chef who was um, selling by the tentacle meal oh yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't get a single line but he was so full of character like the way he like shake and move and like and the, the weird smile he gave to caitlin as she was walking away yeah yeah, yeah. yeah caitlin's <laughs> absolute disgust at everything that have to do with that shop is hilarious to me and that's also a tease for like one of the nations in from the game like because that guy is clearly from bilgewater which is like a swampy mutated place <laughs> where a lot of what a great people. name bilgewater i love yeah that. yeah <laughs> it's so good actually there, there was a, a couple of characters we didn't touch upon because they're very minor like you want to talk about mel and specifically her relationship to her mother i did like her relationship to her mother like i didn't think mel was particularly interesting until we met the mother mother. yeah right yeah. <laughs> yeah. um and her mother like yeah she's she's a pretty one-dimensional character but man she she is great yeah. and she does a lot to explain mel's character and yeah. mel's interplay with her is what makes it interesting um yeah. yeah and i love her she's so great and she's like i'm gonna sample the local cuisine like oh man <laughs> <laughs> she's so good i like how intimidating jake while naked in a well naked right? just stands up it's so funny <laughs> Uh, I can't wait to see more of them. Uh, <laughs> so, like, she's clearly going to be the catalyst for us ex expanding into other areas of this world, right? Yeah, but just going back to just Mel ind individually, um, at first she seemed pretty generic. Like I said, she felt like she was the example of the seduction of power. Like she was, she was 
what was trying to seduce Jace to the dark side. Yeah. But then later, after you meet her mother and you learn more about her backstory, you kind of understand where she's coming from and you kind yeah. of understand why the seduction of power is so important to her because yeah. she sees power as a means to avoid the kind of horrors her mother would get, would do. Um, yeah. So she sees it as a good, not yeah. a bad. Like, like with Jace, she sees power as a means to progress, not yeah. as a means in and of itself. Yeah. And you understand that she's not like she, she's not being cynically and sinisterly trying to corrupt Jace. She thinks she's grooming him for position of power. She thinks he's right. naive and not ready for power and he needs to be prepared, right? I also think she's genuinely like attracted to him. Like I yeah. don't think that's a front. Yeah, exactly. And I also like that how the relationship developed, especially because they don't have much screen time spent on it. And I think that right. scene where, like, after they sleep together, uh, Jace had to leave to go talk, uh, go, go deal with the Victor situation. And then he came back and she's painting. I think that scene is, like, very good at establishing this relationship in a very quick, very decisive way. In that, like, she's kind of pissed off. She's standoffish. Like, she's, and she's clearly trying to gauge his interest and she has her walls up but Jace is like very distracted he's like too stupid to notice all of that and he came in very <laughs> yeah. strong he didn't he doesn't even realize that she's upset he's just like oh yeah like Victor is <laughs> and then he just lie down and lay his head on our lap and like you can see all the defenses melt away as she genuinely engaged with him <laughs> yeah yeah totally and that, that's a that's a really good scene in that regard yeah because when he first puts his head on her she's like what the hell are you yeah, doing yeah. you can see in her eyes yeah yeah <laughs> she like freezes up and stiffens up but then yeah. she slowly relaxes yeah, yeah. <laughs> jace too stupid to start a fight <laughs> <laughs> uh so do you want to talk about where this left the world and like potential sequels and what could be next right um I think you're going to you're going to get to a point where Vi just can't excuse Jinx anymore. She can't see any path of redemption for her anymore. Yeah. I think we've moved past that character dynamic between the two sisters. It's still going to inform where we're going. It's still going to be central, yeah. but I don't think she's going to be trying to save her anymore. Yeah. Uh, and also, I do think a lot of those council members are probably going to die, but not Jace and not Mel, not the important ones. Yeah. Mel is not a champion. So she Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, she might die then, but I don't know. I feel like her story's not over yet. I feel like that too, but here's an interesting little touch. Like, you know how she removed her family ring right before that missile hit? Oh, uh, yeah. Clearly to show that um, she's swearing her allegiance away from her family to Jace, right? Right. But that ring also appeared on a card of a protection spell in the <laughs> card game version of League of Legends. So okay. that's probably a death flag. <laughs> And now that I think about it, you could narratively, that would make sense. If she dies and like Noxus tries to take over, like yeah. put somebody else in her place. Yeah. Um, that could be really interesting dynamic between whoever that is and yeah. Jace. Yeah. Um, it also could be a very good catalyst for Jace resorting to violence again, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I also, unfortunately, since we're speaking of things that kind of have to happen for characters to develop, I feel like. In order for Echo and uh, Heimerdinger to go back into the story, to get into the fray, something has to happen to the Fireflies. Like yeah. something bad. Something terrible yeah. has to happen. Yeah. That place is too pristine and like serene for for them to be able to resist a scene where like the whole thing is on goddamn fire. Yeah. That, that tree is burning down, man. Yeah. <laughs> 
like that's will probably be Heimerdinger's trigger on building turrets and weapons. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the one thing they have to do in season two, quite early on, especially for me and people who know about the game, they have to kill off a champion. Right now, every character who is a champion in the game feels safe. Literally, none right. of the champions die in this show. Like all the characters who die are original characters. <laughs> so, look, both Jace and Victor are gonna survive that um, explosion. Clearly, right? Because none of the, the story hasn't finished. <laughs> right, their character dynamic has to be a big part of the second yeah. season. It just has yeah. to be. So I really can't choose who they'll have to kill off, but they have to. Like otherwise, I think it will still remain full of mystery and suspense for people who only watch the show. But for the people who know the game, you're like, well, all the champions are safe. Because they can't. Right. It's not going to be Vi or Jinx, especially not early on. And it can't be Caitlyn without it feeling like fridging the gay character. You know? Yeah, you don't want to do that. Yeah, you're right. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> um, you could end the second season by killing Jinx. You could do that. That's true. That would work. You could also end or have a big kickoff of the second season by killing Jace as well. Right. That could work. Sure. Yeah. Look, honestly, I think Caitlyn is the most likely character to die, even though I didn't. I don't want that to happen. Not just because I like the character, because that trope is trite. That trope That's- is deeply problematic. And yeah. I think I think the show is clever enough not to do that. It, it might like telegraph it and then subvert your expectations i feel like that's what this show would do because it's yeah. kind of its mo but i don't know it could still happen i mean they could introduce new characters that new, new we will introduce that, yeah. new characters for sure i think when the show opens we're going to open in a completely different setting with completely different characters before we get back to the characters we know maybe yeah I, i'm just not really sure where we're going to be or who because i know nothing about this universe except what you've told me but yeah that's that's how i think it'll start and i don't think it'll go on for like episodes before we get to know what's going on i think it'll just be minutes really yeah um yeah we'll probably yeah. hear background information about the big disaster that happened in Pilkova and so on right uh, especially right. as um vultures circled the corpse and then we'll go back to the... Of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we'll, like, there could be fake out about characters who are supposed to be dead, but when we go back, it turns out it's not, like, they they just in hiding or whatever, you know? <laughs> right, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, another thing I want to mention about uh, <laughs> both the game knowledge and combined with weird subtitles ruining the show, uh, <laughs> the, sci- the weird scientist in the beginning and the guy who's in, in the end... Uh, it's, turned out to be integral to Victor's backstory and help him with the disease. Um, right. Uh, he is a champion from the game. They never okay. mentioned his name in the show at all, except the subtitle called <laughs> his name in the first episode. <laughs> from the game. And uh, the subtitle just says Singe. <laughs> like, they never say it, right? I'm recalling that correctly. They never I don't say think his they name. say it, but I did yeah. know his name just because I also keep subtitles on. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it, it's also a little, even a little bit confusing because he does have a pretty generic looking face that like I, it took me a while to realize, wait, that's the scientist that blew up in the first arc. <laughs> right, yeah. He looks, he looks really, I mean, he looks like he's designed for a video game when we see him later and he's got half his face covered. Yeah, Yeah. well, in, this, in, in the video game, you only see the top half of his face. You have like a big, like, big collar thing. Right, yeah, like he's got the, yeah. Yeah. Um, is he the mage that rescued Jace? 
I don't know. I never really thought about that. Because he's I clearly think no magic, right? He clearly... Yeah. Yeah, I think that would actually make a lot of sense. <laughs> the character models look very similar. And I wonder if we'll see more powerful characters, more like mages. I think we have to see more magic. Like, yeah. I just feel like they've set up a lot of interesting ideas around magic without elaborating on them yet. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm ready to see more monster uh, characters. Like, obviously, they have to go with the more humanoid characters, the front and center, because people relate to that. But I'm ready for, like, they have, like, a big headless horseman style character, but not headless. Like, like an evil centaur, like, things like that. <laughs> I just realized my description was shit. <laughs> yes, headless horseman with a head is um, a horseman. <laughs> not a horseman, he's a horse slash man. <laughs> <laughs> um, things like that, you know, a, 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 a death-like character with a big lantern that he throw. Uh, nice. Okay. <laughs> there's a, a little fishman that writes a shark. Like I want to, I want to see the weirder characters, you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think the show's is is gotten to a point where it can go even weirder for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up our take on Arcane? No, I actually think we covered everything. Um, yeah, uh, I'm really excited for the next season, but uh, I'm also like, well, take it, take your time. Like, if you need years to uh, <laughs> recapture this quality uh, again, uh, because it's hard to top a fresh new series like this. So, if you need time, take time. But yeah, don't do the Stranger Things season two. It's yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I'm. I'm very keen for the second season to come up. Uh, yeah, me too. I'm very impressed with the writing and I want to see where they where they want to take it from here because obviously they have ideas. They wouldn't have ended on a cliffhanger if they didn't. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about next week. Well, oh, yes, next week, our special Christmas episode. Yes. So we tweaked our original plan slightly. Originally, we're just going to have a Christmas movie showdown. But I think that's a lot of things like we have to cover a lot of ground and we won't be able to drill down. So yes, it's still going to be a Christmas movie showdown, but we're going to have a head-to-head battle between two Christmas movies. You're going to bring one, I'm going to bring one, and we're going to argue which is the quintessential Christmas movie while discussing it in detail. Yes. What are you bringing to the table? I am going to bring Home Alone. I'm going to bring the best Christmas movie of all time, Jingle All the Way. I mean, it's in the name. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good movie but it is the best christmas movie of all time <laughs> it has a post-credits scene i know that <laughs> so tune in tune in next week for the big christmas special hey maybe you can use it for you can save it until christmas day and play it to your family instead of having to talk to them <laughs> <laughs> yes we will talk to your family for you yeah, I start that fight, you know? As soon as somebody starts bringing up politics, just like, hey, listen to this podcast about Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Where we will talk endlessly about politics, for sure. <laughs> Jiggle all the way, a damning criticism on capitalism? Find out next week. <laughs> of course, this has been another episode of the streaming heat once again you can contact us as the streaming heat at outlook.com and i'm at flaming eyebrows on twitter that's flaming eyebrows on twitter eric <laughs> where can they reach you 
Um, the easiest way to find me is just to go to my website, which is emagill.com. That's E-M-A-G-I-L-L.com. I've got links to everything on the front page there. Okay, excellent. All right, guys. Um, as always, leave us a five-star review. And until next time, peace. Life is but a stream. Peace.